Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Dr. David Banish from UConn Health. Dr. Banish, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming down. Thanks for coming down. So what's new? Well, geez, uh, from an infectious disease uh, perspective, uh, I guess I'm trying to think how long it's been since we've spoken, but uh, yeah. you know, certainly a lot going on with um, you know COVID and more recently monkeypox and in addition to all the usual absolutely um, challenges that we feel we deal with at this time of year absolutely now as far as covid goes how are things going since the last time you and i actually had a chance to chat so yeah i mean i think um you know over the summer months uh we've seen some fluctuation you know early in the summer um we saw in connecticut at least um a little bit more virus uh, circulating uh we've got um these ba4 ba5 subvariants um mm -hmm. that seem to have taken hold um, and then over the last few weeks, I think things have somewhat um, plateaued, still seeing, um, you know, COVID occurring um, in the community and some patients in the hospital as well. Um, but, uh, you know, the numbers overall seem to be stable as we move into uh, the fall seasons. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and what exactly you, you do for UConn Health. Sure. So um, I'm a physician by training. So um, I see patients. Um, my training is specifically in infectious diseases. So I see patients um, with various infections um, in the office um, as well, um, sicker patients in the hospital as well. And, um, you know, additionally, um, my role is in uh, infection control and epidemiology. So I have some public health training um, and uh, I get involved with uh, uh, infectious disease issues um, in the hospital and the community. Um, and um, I'm involved with our infection control uh, program here at UConn Health. Um, and, and in addition to some teaching um, that I do in the medical school um, and some research as well. So kind of a mix of different things. Now, what do you teach? I teach a few different courses. I teach microbiology to the medical students. Um, I do some uh, coursework in the clinical training, um, you know, as students start to acclimate to the hospital, to clinics, um, sort of teaching clinical skills um, and uh, sort of the foundations of clinical medicine. Um, and then a little bit further on, um, I, the students that are uh, in residency, we uh, treat, uh, train them on infectious diseases and uh, treatments. So kind of a mix of different things depending on the students. Absolutely. Now, as far as the virus goes from the last time we talked to where we to where we are now, things are going. How are things looking? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, in some ways we plateaued over the last few weeks in terms of the amount of COVID uh, that's been circulating in the community. So, uh, you know, we're still seeing, um, you know, a substantial number of COVID infections in Connecticut. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, fewer proportion being hospitalized as we'd seen in uh, other phases of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of that is attributed to uh, immunity now that's developed uh, in the community. So most um, people now have um, had either uh, a full vaccine series and a booster, multiple boosters, um, and even some uh, infections in addition to boosters. So there's, that all confers some degree of protection. So I think we're seeing some immunity in the in the population um, that is um, having an impact on reducing hospitalizations. But nonetheless, we're still seeing. Um, individuals hospitalized with COVID, um, you know, here at UConn and across the state. So it's still out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the public needs to be mindful of that moving into the fall. Now, start to finish, how long does it take? Do you think this is the COVID is ever going to be over or is it going to be here or is it here for a while? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends on how you look at it. So I think yeah. this virus is now going to be moving into an endemic, what we call endemic phase. So it's going to be circulating um, you know, similar to what we see with other viruses like the flu, other viruses that cause colds, you know, COVID is going to be one of those viruses that's going to be with us 
Um, you know, I think um, in terms of the um, the earlier phases where we saw surges of cases and um, you know hospitals that were pushed to capacity and you know um, really high mortalities. You know, I I think you know we're not in that phase at this point, um, which is encouraging. Um, you know, something we have to be mindful of. You know, we, the virus has shown that it can do different things and uh, change in some ways, um, and you know that could change the picture. But I think at this point, it, it seems to be more moving into an endemic territory where it's going to be with us. We have to um, sort of uh, learn both as a community and as a healthcare uh, world to on how to uh, help, but uh, you know, manage the impact um, and you know certainly take care of patients when they do have infections and do what we can to try to prevent those infections from occurring. Now, as far as, and I know there's probably a couple different booster shots out there. What's the what's the difference between all the booster shots out there? Yeah, so um, as of a couple of weeks ago, um, the FDA um, approved uh, what we call the bivalent boosters. Okay. So, um, you know, the original boosters that have been offered up until now were monovalent. So they only had the one, um, one strain, which is the original um, strain, what we call the ancestral strain, the strain that first appeared, you know, in Wuhan, China. That's what the original vaccines were all based on. But these updated boosters are bivalent, so they have that strain, but they also have um, a strain of uh, the Omicron variant, which is the most recent variant that's been circulating now over the past year. Um, so the hope is that by combining that, um, you'll be able to generate in, into a vaccine, you'll be able to generate um, a more specific immunity towards those variants um, that have been circulating this year, um, and that'll provide additional protection beyond what was provided with the monovalent um, uh, vaccine that was really directed at the initial um, uh, virus strain. Now, what's the, what's the difference between the different variances? So um, the variants differ in a few ways. So some of the um, the newer variants uh, seem to be a little bit more contagious, or in some ways significantly more contagious. So they spread a little bit quicker in the population. The virus kind of adapted to be able to do that, um, uh, to basically allow it to spread in the community and be transmitted more easily. Um, and then in some ways, these uh, um, newer variants um, have changed so that they can evade some of the pre-existing immunity. So, um, you know, individuals who um, may have gotten, uh, had COVID infection very early on in the pandemic, like in 2000, infected with one of the early variants, now may not have that level of protection against these newer variants because the virus has changed to be able to kind of evade that um, immune system protection. So those are the two major changes that we've seen um, in variants so far. You know, the newer variants don't seem to be more, um, more, cause more severe illness per se, but, you know, that is something we have to keep an eye on. If we start to see a new variant that is causing more severe infection, um, you know, then we'd have to, um, you know, recognize that and respond to it. Now, obviously, it's very important to go get your booster shots when you're, when you when your age, age eligibility comes up, correct? Yeah, so we've seen um, that, you know, over the last year, the booster shots have been very effective um, in uh, preventing severe infections and hospitalization. They, you know, they seem to be most effective in higher risk groups. So older individuals, individuals with other medical conditions um, that would predispose them to uh, more severe infection. I um, mean, that, you know, that's expected to hold true with uh, boosters moving forward. Now, I th the general recommendation from CDC is that everyone who's two months out from their last COVID vaccine is um, able to and recommended to get a booster. Um, that's kind of where we are now. Um, but certainly most important would be those individuals who are at the higher risk, like the uh, the elderly individuals or people that have um, those other medical conditions. So, you know, the, the current recommendation, though, is for everyone who's two months out from initial vaccine or from their last booster to go ahead and get um, get another booster.
Absolutely. And obviously, you think they're con going to continue with boosters or? Uh, you know, hard to know for sure. But, mm. um, you know, from what we've seen with uh, the protection from boosters, you know, it does seem to bump up. Um, and over time, unfortunately, that does uh, seem to wane. So, you know, as long as we're seeing uh, COVID circulating um, in the community, you know, I do expect that in the future there will be additional boosters. You know, the frequency, you know, a lot of a lot of people are asking, you know, is this going to be like a once a year vaccine, kind of like the flu? Um, it may very well be, um, but uh, you know, I think it's a little too early to predict. Um, you know, both uh, the time period between boosters and also if the boosters are going to need to be further adapted. Um, you know, based on changes in the virus. Now, as far as the, once you get the booster shot, can you still catch the virus? Um, you can. So the boosters are not, um, you know, 100% um, guarantee that you won't get COVID. But what they do is they reduce the overall impact. So even individuals who do get COVID after getting a booster, this the degree of symptoms is milder. Um, they're protected against hospitalization and uh, really severe infection. So that benefit is there, um, you know, even for people who, um, you know, do develop an infection even after getting a booster. Now, as far as the symptoms go, what are some of the symptoms if you think you have COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the symptoms that we've seen with the most recent variants, um, you know, seem to be mostly upper respiratory infections. So, uh -huh. Um, you know, seeing a lot of nasal congestion, cough, uh, sore throat seems to be quite common with uh, the more recent variants, uh, fevers as well. Um, and all of that, you know, can be associated with the fatigue and uh, kind of generalized weakness, um, you know, lasting for a few days. You know, fortunately, we're seeing um, fewer people that are progressing to pneumonia. Um, and, uh, you know, those are the people that usually uh, require hospitalization. Uh, so we're seeing fewer of those individuals for the reasons that I, um, you know, mentioned earlier. Right. Um, but uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, I think uh, you know we're still seeing a full spectrum of uh, of symptoms that develop. But it seems like upper respiratory symptoms, uh, particularly the nasal sore throat um, and cough uh, symptoms, seem to be predominant right now. Now, as far as as far as quarantining, they're still telling you if you think you have it or if you have it, how long should you quarantine for? So, um, you know, if you do think that uh, you have COVID, um, you know, the next step is to get tested um, and certainly to quarantine at least until you or isolate, um, that would be the term, until you get that test result. And if you do test positive, uh, the recommended isolation period is still five days. And then you can go back out in public wearing a mask um, if you're going to be around others for another five days. So 10 days total of added precautions, um, which includes the five days of, of isolation followed by the five days of, um, of masking. Okay. And as far as other, what are some other things we want to tell people about COVID and prevention? Yeah, so, um, you know, treatments are important. Uh, so, you know, if for individuals that do get COVID, um, vaccinated or not vaccinated, there is that benefit from treatment. Okay. Uh, you know, the main treatment that we're using now is the oral medication Paxlovid, which I think I may have discussed um, last time we spoke. So that's a, yeah. a five-day course of um, an oral antiviral medicine. That's really what... Um, almost all individuals um, who have COVID um, uh, who are at high risk uh, receive. Um, the, uh, the other alternative is the monoclonal antibodies. Those are still available, and they're really now um, being used only in individuals who um, can't take Paxlovid um, because of a contraindication or 
uh, an interaction with a medication, those are the individuals who are um, eligible for the monoclonal antibody infusions. Um, but that's really a, becoming a small number of people. Really, most are receiving Paxlovid um, as the, the treatment of choice. So, you know, for individuals out there, if you do test positive and, um, you know, you have any medical conditions or older age, you know, reach out to your um, clinician um, and see if you can get Paxlovid because that, that medication, the earlier you started, the better um, in terms of the uh, overall impact and uh, improving the outcome. Now, what, what exactly is Paxlovid? Can you explain? So that? it's a pill. Yeah, it's an oral pill um, gotcha. that uh, can basically uh, block the virus from replicating. Um, so it uh, sort of prevents the progression of um, more severe infection. That's what we see when the virus replicates at high and higher, higher and higher levels. So that's that's the goal of it. It's um, you know five day course of treatment. It's one uh, dose twice a day um, for the five day period. And um, yeah, and uh, you know people seem to be tolerating it uh, quite well. Dr. Banish, would you mind taking it around for another segment? Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Better Business Bureau Scam Tracker is getting reports of party hosts tricked by rentals that don't materialize. Avoid party rental scams by doing your research first at BBB.org. Also, search the business's name plus the word scam. You may need to fill out a contract with personal information, but make sure you are dealing with a legitimate company before you hand over sensitive information. Be wary of people who contact you on messaging apps. Make sure they have a website and working contact information. Always pay with a credit card. It's much easier to dispute fraudulent charges. You matter. You matter. You matter. And your words matter too. Your words matter. What you say in the hallways at school or in the student section at a game matters. Words can be hurtful. Words can be offensive. Words can leave scars. Words can also inspire. Support and uplift. You and your words. Are they both important? As, As a matter of fact, fact yes. yes. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti, joined by Dr. David Banish from UConn Health. Dr. Banish, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Banish, let's open up this segment talking about, and you maybe can explain this to me, what is monkeypox? Sure. So, uh, monkeypox is uh, an infection that's caused by a virus. So, okay. a, um, it's called the monkeypox virus, essentially. So, it's a virus that's similar to some other viruses. So it's similar to smallpox. Um, also, in some ways, um, it has some similar characteristics to other viruses like uh, that cause chickenpox. So essentially, it's a virus that can be passed from person to person, can also be passed from animal to person. Um, and um, it can cause uh, a wide spectrum of infections. So the most common um, infection that we see are um, a se severe rash, uh, usually raised um, bumps on the skin, kind of like pimples. Um, and they can be quite painful. Um, and, uh, you know, in some situations, they can progress to become quite severe um, throughout um, a large portion of the body. And uh, in severe cases, they can even lead to uh, respiratory breathing difficulty, respiratory symptoms, and, um, you know, more severe uh, infections. Uh, sometimes uh, the rash can be associated with um, fevers and uh, swollen glands in the body, too. Um, and, uh, you know, can be quite variable. So, you know, this, this virus... Um, is something that um, has been identified now for decades, um, but was really geographically very limited. Um, initially, um, almost all of the cases were in Africa, um, so uh, quite rare to see it outside of Africa. 
you know, in pretty much uh, whenever it was seen outside of Africa, it was seen in someone who was recently traveled to Africa. Um, and uh, more recently, um, with the current outbreak, and we can talk about it in some more detail, uh, we know we're seeing cases across the globe, uh, many cases. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it seems to be, uh, seems to have spread into uh, communities that wouldn't necessarily be exposed to monkeypox um, based on the previous um, spread and epidemiology. So a little bit different now. Um, and, um, you know, it's having a significant impact on some uh, portions of the population. Now, is there a vaccine for monkeypox? There is. Uh, so there's a vaccine. Um, uh, it's uh, called Genios is the name is the name of the vaccine. Okay. Um, and it was actually interesting. It was actually a vaccine that was initially developed for to prevent smallpox, um, but was found to also uh, prevent monkeypox. Um, and was uh, reviewed by FDA for both indications to prevent smallpox and uh, prevent monkeypox. The original um, development was spurred by, uh, you may recall, concerns about uh, smallpox being developed as a bioterrorism um, uh, several, uh, you know, several, a couple of decades ago. Um, so that was the original intent of the vaccine, but being active against monkeypox um, was important. So we do give that um, to individuals uh, in a few different types of situations if they're at high risk for um, acquiring monkeypox um, infection. And now as far as being high risk for monkeypox, how can you tell if you're at high risk or not? So um, the highest risk um, situation would be um, coming into close contact with someone who's had monkeypox. So for instance, yeah. Um, you know, having close skin-to-skin -skin contact um, and then finding out that that person um, just tested positive for monkeypox um, or someone who um, potentially who you live with and are in very close quarters with, you know, that would be a higher risk um, uh, exposure. So if you have that level of exposure, um, then the vaccine is given to prevent um, development of uh, infection and symptoms. Um, there's other um, uh, sort of population-based factors that we're seeing. So um, a large uh, proportion of individuals in the current um, epidemic of monkeypox um, that have uh, had infection are in the um, men who have sex with men uh, community. Um, so gay males, um, uh, particularly um, in that group who have had multiple sexual partners, there seems to be an association with transmission of monkeypox. So right now, a lot of the vaccine efforts are really targeting that specific population um, as being highest risk um, for um, for infection and prioritizing that group for uh, receiving uh, the vaccine. Um, but you know we'll we'll have to see um, you know if there's signs that uh, monkeypox is uh, starting to um, spread significantly in other groups. Um, you know those groups will be um, uh, the focus for the vaccine as well moving forward. So uh, it's it's still evolving and. Um, you know, I think important to sort of uh, be mindful and, and keep an ear to uh, what's happening with it. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's talk about the flu and flu vaccines. Sure. So yeah, um, you know, we're, we're moving into what we typically see as flu season, right? So flu season, usually um, in the Northeast, um, is in the winter. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, we think uh, December, January, February, typically um, the months that we see flu here in Connecticut. Um, interestingly, uh, probably for a few reasons, the flu uh, seasons have not been typical the last couple of years. And that probably relates to everything that's been going on with COVID, um, including some of the measures that have been taken to prevent COVID. Um, so we've seen milder flu seasons um, in the last couple of years um, and later flu season. So um, we've seen more flu cases in like the March, April territory, which is on the later side. Um, so, you know, it's a little difficult to predict um, what we're going to expect with uh, this year's flu season. 
Um, but the goal is that um, you know everyone get their vaccine before we get into flu season because that's going to help provide that protection um, against uh, developing uh, you know any severe flu infections. Uh, so you know I think that's why that's why we're going into um, you know September October. This is really the time that um, is recommended to get that flu vaccine to prevent to protect you in the subsequent months when we typically see flu circulating. Now is it too early to get your flu shot, or is it timing wise, or is it about that yeah, there's there is some controversy there, and a lot of it stems from the difficulty in predicting when flu is going to peak. You know, we just don't know. Um, you know, base, we sort of base our recommendations on what has been seen in prior years, which is typically um, you know circulation in the United States in the winter time. Um, so the recommendation from CDC is that by the end of October that you get your flu vaccine. Um, you know, whether it's too early, you know, I, I think it's just it's very hard to time. Um, you know, the, the thing you don't want to do is be in a position where um, it's too late. So you get you get flu, but unfortunately, we're able to get a vaccine before, uh, because even if you get a vaccine early, you still have some protection later on in the uh, flu season. Um, you know, it may not be as high as it would be, you know, shortly after getting vaccinated, but there still is that benefit there. So, you know, I, I think the message right now is, um, you know, by the end of October, uh, you know, get that flu vaccine um, to get you that protection going into this winter. And obviously, the flu vaccine is readily available, correct? Yeah, so the flu vaccines are now very readily available. Um, you know, we started giving them out here at UConn um, about a week ago. Okay. Um, and now all the retail pharmacies um, stock them. And, um, you know, most doctor's offices that give flu vaccines now have them readily available. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, getting a flu vaccine um, in terms of logistics shouldn't be difficult. They're out there. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of different flu vaccines, which I can we can talk about. Yeah, um, that are available. But, um, you know, right now the message is that the flu vaccines are out there, um, you know, go, go ahead and, and get one to protect yourself. Now, what are the different flu vaccines out there? Yeah, so um, this year uh, there's uh, there's two different groups of vaccines. So there's the standard dose vaccine and then there's the high dose or adjuvant vaccine. Um, and that is um, uh, intended to be given to older individuals. So really um, targeting individuals above age 65, um, those groups should be uh, are recommended to get a higher dose flu vaccine or an adjuvant vaccine. Um, it basically helps generate um, a bit of a more robust immune response for the older individuals um, because we know that older individuals um, inherently um, have less of an immune response than a younger individual to vaccines. Um, so that's why um, this, this sort of uh, more potent um, higher dose vaccine um, has been successful in producing that higher level of antibody to the group that group that's at higher risk um, and more likely to naturally generate less um, immune response. So if you're over 65, you know, seek out one of those high dose or adjuvant um, flu vaccines and, you know, talk to your, um, your physician or uh, your clinician that um, helps provide that vaccine to ensure that you get that recommended vaccine. Absolutely. I actually got my flu vaccine last week. Oh, great. Yeah, no, this is the right time to do it. We've got a little bit more time left, so what else would you like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, trying to think what the winter is going to hold. Um, you know, I think uh, in the Northeast here, we typically see um, these respiratory viruses circulate, um, you know, flu, other colds, uh, cold viruses, um, now COVID. Um, and, you know, I it's a little difficult to a lot of people are you know asking what the prediction is for this winter and i think it's it's very difficult right now um to predict you know I, there's there's some signs that could point to this being a more severe uh flu season than what we've seen in the past um it's probably a combination of a sort of a lot of the loosening of all the 
um, restrictions and preventive measures that we've had over the last couple of years, um, like the masking everywhere, you know, that, that's really not um, happening right now. Um, so, you know, we may expect that to contribute to more flu um, activity and uh, more other uh, more circulating viruses in the community um, than uh, what we've seen in the last couple of years. You know, also, um, in, you know, we look at patterns that have happened in the southern hemisphere to try to predict what we're going to see here in the northern hemisphere. And okay. um, this past um, flu season in Australia was more severe um, than what had been seen. Um, you know, certainly since the pandemic started, but even in a couple of years prior to that. So, you know, kind of a kind of a, a potential warning sign that we may be in for a rough flu season. Um, so all the more reason to really go ahead and get that vaccine and do what you can to protect yourself. And, you know, a lot of people also, um, you know, forget that, uh, you know, some of the infection prevention measures that we've been do using for COVID also um, are very applicable to flu. So if you do de develop uh, symptoms, you know, even if you take a COVID test and it's negative, you may very well have the flu. And, you know, important to try to stay away from other people. If you're going to be around other people, you know, wearing a mask is a great way to try to protect those around you from uh, becoming infected. So, you know, those kinds of um, principles, addition, addition to the, like the hand washing and, you know, the other standard infection prevention measures can really pay off. Um, if we do see ourselves uh, moving into a more severe flu season. So, you know, just be mindful of what's happening, you know, pay attention to uh, what you're hearing uh, regarding these viruses circulating and, um, you know, kind of uh, just try to stay on top of things as best you can uh, moving into uh, the winter. Obviously, hand washing and social distancing and all that other. Yeah, I mean, stuff. I think, um, you know, all of those play into, uh, you know, improving um, your health uh, in general. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think uh, we're learning a lot from COVID on what can be effective. You know, I think, you know, having seen that those measures that we incorporated to protect against COVID have also reduced um, flu and other viruses, I think there's something to learn from that, too, that, um, you know, we can apply moving forward. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how things unfold in the coming months, but, um, you know, tr try to remember sort of the basic infection prevention hygiene measures that we've been um, sort of trying to uh, uh, reinforce uh, since the pandemic started is really important. Absolutely. Well, David Banish from UConn Health, we're about to run out of time. So thanks for, so thanks for some time and hopefully we'll see you again soon. All right. Well, thanks again for having me on. You got it. On behalf of David Banish, I'm Pete Vassetti. Thanks. Good night. We'll see you next week.